welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Lucy Lucraft, a journalist, blogger, podcaster based in Brighton, and you're listening to Series 4, Episode 4, Ethics in Blogging with Christabel Plummer. So before I jump into the episode, I want to dive right in and share my review of the week. So my podcast review of the week is from the user MaddieD82. I'm going to call her Maddie. <laughs> um, she says, or he says, I don't know. The, <laughs> the guests are always fascinating and Lucy has a lovely way of putting them at ease. So the podcast flows like a natural conversation. Lucy also has that rare trait in the blogging and podcasting world that she's completely honest and transparent. She's not afraid to have an opinion while others sit on the fence. How nice is that? (laughs) Nice, that's what. Um, Full disclosure, I was having a really, really tough day. (laughs) And when I came to have a look at my reviews and saw there was three brand new reviews in the past week, I was like, oh, amazing. And then I read the first one. I read read all of them, but um, the first one... I was like, that is just so thoughtful and lovely. Um, So thank you very much. So even if you don't think it makes a difference, and I know it's such a pain to leave a review and everybody constantly asks you to leave them a review, it makes such a difference um, to both the show, getting it out there for other people to hear, and also just you've made my day. (laughs) It keeps me going when I've been editing for hours. (laughs) Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can leave your review by heading to the ratings and review tab on iTunes. If you just go to to what she said on iTunes, you can see a few different tabs. The second tab is ratings and reviews, and that's where you leave your review if you want to. Only only five star reviews, please. (laughs) If you really hate it, just move on. (laughs) Just don't leave me a review at all, please. So back to today's episode. (laughs) Today I chat with Chris Bell Plummer, who writes the travel and lifestyle blog, I Want You To Know. She's an OG blogger who isn't afraid to be herself and stick her head above the parapet. She's honest, approachable and really self-deprecating. And we chatted all about her blogging journey, why ethics are so important and how blogging success comes in so many different forms. Enjoy. Okay, well, I have been blogging for 10 years over at IWantYouToKnow.co.uk and I think that my blog was just a natural continuation after growing up with GeoCities and MySpace and Bebo and Zanga and even, you know, even more obscure sites. Like I've always been quite internet-y. I used to write home and away fan fiction. It's not very cool. But I'm admitting it. And I think I've always just loved finding different communities online. As soon as I got the internet, I was like, I'm going to make my own website. I'm going to write a story every month. And had friends, they would leave comments in the guest book. And, you know, other people who weren't friends as well, they would love to tease me. But I think early on, I was just used to doing my own thing, even if it wasn't cool or the thing to do. I just felt a passion for creating and putting it on the internet. So I started my blog in December 2008. I was studying fashion knitwear design at the time. And I just thought, you know, I might as well join in. I've got a point of view. I'd started to discover lots of personal style blogs. So in the early days, I read Style Bubble. There was another blog called Flying Saucer. There were loads of American bloggers. And I used to go on the Fashion Spot forums and people were sharing their outfits there as well and linking to their blogs. So I just felt so inspired by 
a community of real people, just real in inverted commas, of course, but they were sharing their style, you know, what they were buying. And even though I studied fashion and I had fashion, you know, obsessed, obsessed friends, we didn't often talk about personal styles. So this was just a place for me to really connect with other like-minded people. So in the early days, my blog was very much diary-like. I would vent about uni work, applying to placements, getting rejected from placements. I think there was a, a post, it's called Put a Smile on My Face, very angsty. <laughs> but, you know, it was just such a cool creative outlet at the time. And at first it was quite solitary. I was living in, you know, a uni flat share situation that was not ideal. So I was just always in my room on the internet getting inspired. And then gradually I started to go down to events in London so not only did I meet other bloggers, but I started to meet brands as well. And it was really interesting to go to these press events and get goodie bags. Like when you're a student, goodie bags are like the best thing ever. Yeah. Free stuff, free stuff just for <laughs> attending an event and free drinks as well. Like also, you know, when you're a student, that is what Gold you want. Dust. So basically <laughs> it was just drinking, getting the free stuff, meeting new people as well. It can be so hard to make friends outside of your existing networks, such as uni, school, work. And I just ended up making, you know, so many friends. It was just such a great situation. So, yeah, I just I kept going. I just felt this very strong connection to the, you know, world of blogging and creating content. I eventually did get a job in knitwear design, but I just felt I felt like it wasn't right for me in in that form you know I didn't think that I could fit into an established company that would perhaps rip off designs from smaller designers and some of those designers I was getting to meet at fashion week it just didn't sit well with me so I thought you know if I can't design in the way I want to I'd rather not do it and now I realize I guess I wanted to be a creative director which is a bit different to a, you know, a fashion designer that's doing the the tech packs and the measurements. You've got to be precise. You've got to know how certain pieces fit together. You know, I, I think I just wanted a really creative role that's a bit more overarching. And mm-hmm. I feel like blogging and content creation and everything in between, like it, it's what I'm meant to be doing. At what stage did you because now obviously not only are you a full-time blogger, but you also do consulting, you speak, um, your role has probably become much wider than you expected it to be when you first started. Well, certainly when you first started writing Home and Away fan fiction, I I imagine that you didn't think necessarily that this was going to be your career trajectory. Definitely not. (laughs) And there's no Home and Away fan fiction on the blog, just to clarify that. (laughs) I was 15 that I'm hoping it's not on the internet. I, <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> no judgment. I'm I'm still a huge home and away fan. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. <laughs> so when at what stage did blogging become more than just blogging? Did it become a viable career for you? Ooh, that's an interesting one because it all happened very gradually. I think I had my first paid project in 2012. And at that point, I was used to gifting and just being happy to go to events and, you know, get the old goodie bag. And at that point, I just didn't really know about all this, all the other things going on. I saw other people doing it full time. And I thought I'd love to do a bit of that. But I had no idea how to make it my job. Mm-hmm. And then I was umming and ahhing for a little while. I was working at a company and I wasn't you know, passionate about what I was doing. 
And I just felt like I was in, in limbo and I didn't know what to do. And then fortunately my contract came to an end and it was, it was quite weird at the time, but it was a positive thing in the end because it really forced me to make a decision and think about what I wanted to do. So I went traveling for a bit around Southeast Asia. That was great. It made me create more ca- uh, travel content and think about my spin on that. And then I came home and luckily I live I lived with my parents in London, so didn't have to worry about rent or food. But yeah, I didn't really have a plan. And that was strange. After doing so many years of education, I didn't have a plan. And I was getting dribs and drabs coming through like a few. I think there was an eBay project. There might have been a Grazia thing. I think because I got into it quite early, you know, my name would come up on a lot of lists Mm. and in search results. So that's great. And I I guess I was associated with other people that maybe had bigger followings, but because I was seen with them, you know, brands would think, oh, okay, let's contact her. So that was great as well. So I had a few little things. And at the time, I think I just, I never had massive like financial aspirations. Like I wanted to be a knitwear designer. That's not typically, you know, a big money (laughs) job. So I never, you know, I think I spoke about this on my Instagram stories. I've always had a bit of a weird attitude towards money and I'm, just happy if there is money, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got my graduate job, I didn't negotiate or anything. I just thought, yes, money, there is money. I'm happy, there is money. Mm. So I probably lived off very little, but at the time I was like, oh yeah, this is fine. Like when dribs and drabs come in, but you're not looking at the bigger picture, you you can think you're fine, but then you add it up at the end of the year and you're like, actually, this is, you know, not the salary that some of my friends are earning. But I was I was happy I was content and it it took a while to understand the financial side and a lot of things just happened in a serendipitous way I think you know I got contacted by the Metro and BuzzFeed I think in early 2014 about freelance writing so then I thought oh okay maybe I could do this so there were lots of different opportunities that came and I also did a course on freelancing as well that helped me learn a bit more about the financial side so it's only really been viable in the past um, two two or three years. But mm-hmm. I think earlier on, I wasn't necessarily earning as much as other people, but I was still happy yeah. because I was fulfilled in other ways. And yeah, you're, I mean, you're more than just your salary. So yeah. it, I've kind of done things backwards, basically. No, I think that's, I think a lot of people are doing it the exact same way, but just because so many people don't speak about it and they don't speak about that element of uh, the the real nitty-gritty of finance and money that we just all presume that everybody else is doing it better than us or everybody else is doing it to a different level um and I would certainly agree that you're more than your salary um and you've you kind of got to find what the marker point for success is for you like you say you didn't go in your original career plan wasn't you know you weren't aiming to be the richest knitwear designer in the world you wanted to be a knitwear designer for certain reasons and blogging is the exact same thing I would yeah I really relate to that I feel like none of us really decide to pick up a side hustle or I hate that term but it explains it properly or or become freelance for the reason of becoming rich it's normally because we want to strike a balance in our life that we don't currently have with a traditional office job that's what I think that's my personal opinion on it and and I've got so many opinions on it and how the patriarchy is trying to screw us over with that but (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll probably get to that. Yeah, that's definitely true. And you realise you end up working so much more. I, mm-hmm. I dread to think what my hourly rate is because if I told that to other people, they'd probably be like, oh, actually, I won't, I won't do that. I won't give up, you know, having proper holidays or whatever. And I know it's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting job and I, I never want to moan because I know there are people with very challenging jobs. Uh, I think it's challenging in a different way, but I don't obviously do it for that. I do it for so many other reasons and I like to think I'm building upon something and I've learned so much about myself through doing it. I've learned that I'm quite, you know, fulfilled by other things rather than money, like being true to myself, basically. Mm. Cliché, but obviously I, you know, I stopped being a knitwear designer because I thought if I can't do it in the way I want to, I'm not going to do it. And I think that just carries me through with everything I do. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting when you when you mentioned that at the beginning, that comparing kind of the big brands to smaller brands and contrasting them and that was really a bit of a guiding light for you and that is so prevalent in how you talk about things on Instagram and just you can see in your attitude and your approach to blogging that another word that I really don't like using but it's it's just perfect is authenticity and that's really I think as influencers whether you regard yourself as an influencer or not um we're really held to quite a high standard a higher standard than others and the marker point for whether we are um I don't know good or bad it seems to be authenticity yes (laughs) it's an interesting one because it's I can only be me like it's I uh, I I don't even know where to start with this but I just know (laughs) I'm not the girl that people think, oh, she's so cool. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to make people feel bad about themselves. So that's what kind of drives me. And I've never been the, you know, the most beautiful girl or the pretty or the most popular girl. You know, I've been the weird one doing random things, sometimes getting teased. And, and that's fine. I think that still drives me in what I do. And I'm, I don't put out content to, make people think I'm amazing like I know I'm not some insta model and that's fine I'm just being myself and I kind of want to treat others how I wish I want to be treated and I don't want people to feel bad about themselves so that's what drives me and if if people think that's authentic that's great but it is yeah it's bandied around a lot there was a guardian article I think last week and every day I think the guardian likes to write an article don't they and it's just like, oh, influencers, they're being, they're, they're authentic now. And it's like, no, a lot of us were always that way. Yeah. It's not just a new thing. Yeah. It, it should, it's just, it's being yourself. It's common sense. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie about anything to build a following. I'm just going to be myself. I'm just doing what I feel is right. One of the things that I think about authenticity, which can get really blurry in the influencer world is that when everybody starts out um well nowadays I think people there are a set of people who start out with the intention of being a full-time blogger so that might be their goal from day one which 
it's different for people who started out before it was kind of a thing because you just couldn't start out with that intention because you didn't know it was a thing. Mm. Um, and there's no judgment at all for me of people starting out to make it their career. But when that happens, I think that um, you there's so much noise out there that there wasn't years and years ago telling you that you must do this, this, this. You only have to look on Pinterest to see <laughs> pins saying don't, I see, I see this a lot and it really irritates me. Um, the 10, 10 mistakes new bloggers make or do these things to make you, to make sure that you don't look like a new blogger, it, things like that. And so I think that's where authenticity can become much more than just being yourself because you can easily become completely lost and think that yourself just actually yourself isn't good enough and who is yourself <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah this is all yes yeah, it's all very deep <laughs> this is all very deep at the moment um there's so much advice out there i say that in adverted commas <laughs> and so much focus on growth and I think I even heard yesterday apparently Kim Kardashian did a loop giveaway apparently it's been deleted but it's just so frustrating because if you really think about the end result like rather than the vanity metric you know fair enough if you do a loop giveaway people may follow you because they're going to win a holiday to the Maldives but they're going to unfollow you like a week after that yeah and what are you left with like you had the inflated numbers for a while but then they're gone. And if brands, if you if you want brands to work with you and pay you, you need to have real people there. You need to connect with real people. So I think everyone needs to remember why they're doing this. It's not just about the vanity metrics. You know, if we really think about it, like you need you need real people there. And you can write all of the advice posts and you know advice um tell people to buy followers and do all these dodgy things but in the end you need to connect with real people like they need to be there and you really need a foundation otherwise there's just no point a big thank you to this week's sponsor right now cards right now cards are affirmation cards for writers to help you build and enjoy your writing practice whether you're working on your first novel, writing your blog, writing professionally as a copywriter, editing your 10th book, or just curious about starting to write, Right Now Cards are designed to help you feel more positively about you and your writing. Designed and created by Frankie Thompson, a blogger, author, and freelance writer, and also and just an amazing human. <laughs> That's just an aside for me. They've really, really helped me push through some serious <laughs> writing block. Born out of Frankie's battle with postnatal depression and anxiety, which came about after the birth of her first son, but stuck around and really pooped on other things she loved most, like writing, Right Now Cards were initially Frankie's way of getting back into writing while recovering. They worked so well she started to share them with other writers, and so Right Now Cards was born. As a special offer, five What She Said listeners will get the mini classic collection for just 12 US dollars on a first come, first served basis please quote what she said when placing your order you can follow right now cards at right now cards on instagram for daily writing affirmations tips and inspiration and you can order your own pack of right now cards by going to bit.ly so bitly right now cards or follow the link in the show notes and you can meet frankie on her blog as the bird flies blog.com 
So in terms of things that really helped you boost your blog, and I don't just mean what what made you get the numbers that you have or that kind of were the turning points for your blog success. Was there anything in particular or was it simply a gradual slog? <laughs> in the best sense of the word, because it is a fun slog, but... Yeah, I think it's definitely been gradual, but there were glimmers of, you know, exciting things that kind of kept me going. So I had an agent, I think in mm, 2014. So that kind of, that gave me a lot of uh, confidence, I think, that I must be doing something right. I also got on the Evening Standard Power 1000 list. That was in 2013. And at the time, they got my age wrong. So they put me in the 25 under 25 category but I was I was 26 I'd literally just turned 26 I had a bit of a I was going through my quarter life crisis and I didn't believe the accolade which is crazy because you know other people may think okay they got the age wrong but I'm just going to take that I'm going to run with it I'm going to PR it but at the time I didn't really think of it in that way and it was interesting as well because prior to that I had been featured in the evening standard and I didn't realize it's only when I went to an event and someone had mentioned it because they had a copy there. And I was like, oh, my God, let me run out and get 10 copies. <laughs> so that's, you know, I started to get recognized by external sources. And it made me think, OK, I must I must be doing something right. Uh, you know, there were other, you know, brand collaborations. I worked with Bowdoin quite early on. So that was in 2014. And, you know, I started to get travel opportunities. So... I think it has been gradual. Like, there's always been signs, but I don't have the massive numbers that you may expect, like on Instagram. So I think it's just, you know, an example of an alternative way of being a content creator because, you know, there are actresses. We've got Cameron Diaz, Jennifer Aniston, Lupita Nyong'o, but then you also have actresses, in theatres and in other places as well and they're still valid and you can be fulfilled so I think it's good to just present other ways of doing this that's you know, a really not... good way of looking at it actually I've never thought about that and I think traditional media they love to focus on numbers like any article I do it'll be it'll mention the amount of followers you have or the amount of traffic like they're very much they think in headlines mm-hmm. and you know things have to be summed up quickly but there's so much more to it than just a headline. And I think that's what's great about blogging. You know, you don't have to have a particular angle sometimes, you know, like a, I don't know, like a Good Morning Britain segment. You can, you can be in the middle, you know, there can be nuance. Mm-hmm. You just chat about things. That's fine. And, you know, that's what I love about it. That is kind of blowing my mind. I never really thought about just the example when you were talking about actresses. Uh, I've never I've never thought about blogging like that but that's absolutely that's so true but it can feel very you're right the nuance can be completely taken out and it can feel very linear that we're all on a journey towards a number when actually yeah it's it's not really about that it's about the fact that each one of us is completely individual and we all offer offer different things um even down to the type of content that we write but on the flip side, <laughs> what have been the big stumbling blocks that you found throughout your blogging career? Have there been any? Oh, gosh, so many. <laughs> I think oh, self-doubt, you know, productivity. Just, there's just so much. I think, yeah, my 
my self-doubt is definitely the biggest. It stops me from doing so many things. Like, it's so weird. I'll have an idea and then I'll try and work on the idea. And then I'm like, oh, no, why are you doing that? No, no one wants to hear that. Why, why, why are you doing that? It's, it's just crazy. Like, I can quite often go through these confidence crises and it's really tough to sort of pick myself back up again. Mm. And equally productivity I feel uh, I feel like there's something I'm trying to reach and I never reach it like I've realized a lot about myself through doing this I'm quite self-critical I'm a perfectionist I never thought that was me because when I was younger I just I obviously didn't look it up in the dictionary and I thought oh it means I'm perfect I'm obviously not perfect so I'm not a perfectionist and then I learned the definition and I thought okay that is actually me so yeah it feels like I'm always striving for something that I can never reach because I've set the goalposts way too high Mm. so it's now now I'm aware I can try and tackle that self-doubt is a really tough one though isn't it because particularly for somebody who um works solo I'm presuming you don't have a team around you in like a little uh you know home office and but you might do so I should probably shouldn't presume but there's no team there's no team (laughs) I'm a team of one I have some very you know supportive friends but they have other jobs so (laughs) (laughs) so day to day when it's just you on your own at home I mean I know for myself when you're creating stuff that is putting your face out there and and also putting your feelings out there and being vulnerable it's it's it can be a real killer when self-doubt rears its ugly head which uh, yeah I relate completely and I'm sure a lot of people listening to the podcast will as well but it's it didn't surprise me when you said that because I think you are very I don't know I want to say humble or you're very mm, approachable online like your your personality feels very approachable but also with a hint of self-deprecation that's what I've picked up (laughs) that's that's quite accurate yeah (laughs) (laughs) which I think is really really lovely it's obviously a really lovely quality that you have but (laughs) not to say just don't believe in yourself because that's a really nice quality but you know what I mean like that's a that's also a really lovely quality that you have that makes you super accessible and approachable I think for some people they might look at you and think but she's so successful I've heard of her for years and etc so how can you how can you have self-doubt and how how do you push through and you know work with brands and put yourself out there when you're having a a crisis of confidence it is really tough, but then I do manage to pull myself out of it, even if I am, you know, procrastinating, which always happens because I think, oh, it's not the right time or, you know, this isn't perfect. You know, I might end up procrastinating and then I come across an article that's actually relevant and relates to what I'm doing and then it kind of spurs me on. Or I may mention something to someone in passing and they actually give me a dose of reality, you know, because I, I, I do go to a co-working space but even then, I can quite often keep to myself mm-hmm. and not mention what's going on. So I found that by opening up, like, it's the simplest thing, but it can be really tough. Because yeah. in my head, I'm telling myself, like, why Why are you trying to do this thing? Or, you know, I can make, I might have had an interaction with a brand and I may think, oh, I've ruined it forever. But then I talk to someone else and they're like, oh, no, it's probably fine. And I, you know, I get a sense of perspective. So I think just confiding in other people you if you have a support group you know there's lots of communities online 
there's also lots of blogging chats that you can be a part of and then you can find other people through that. I also have a notebook that sort of reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sometimes you can forget. So I have my mission statement. I have, you know, things that I focus on, my content pillars. And I've literally just written, why do I do this on a page? And it's a great reminder when I'm in a, you know, a bit of a mess. (laughs) These are brilliant, brilliant tips. I love that you have them to hand as a visual reminder of of why you're doing what you're doing and the content pillars because I also have I also constantly pull myself back to my cornerstone content because that when you're stuck trying to come up with content um or or you're having a creative kind of boom and you're like I want to write this 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 and then I don't know about you but I get a bit overwhelmed and do nothing (laughs) oh yeah that happens (laughs) that happens a lot and I think also accepting that that's part of your process yeah. and building it in. It's taken me a while to realize this, but I think obviously I had to go through several, you know, several scenarios to get to this point, but I've just accepted, you know, maybe I'll come to my co-working space. I might have an hour of, you know, a bit of Twitter time, but then maybe I'll see something that inspires me or, you know, I'll read something and that will help me. So I try and build it into my process. I try and break up blog posts into bullet points as well. Like, So if I'm having a bad like writing day thinking, oh my God, I can't write, I've got the bullet points and I've got a starting point. So yeah, I've come up with lots of different tools to help me. But it still happens. Yeah. I think I'm pulling myself out quicker. I love that. You've got so many good like things in your kit to kind of help you get out of your own way. It's a really good it's really good practical tips also with the, all the podcasts everything will be in the show notes so you can go straight there even though they're in the same niche as me and I should you know <laughs> but it's great my I competitors mean, it's, <laughs> it's it's really interesting to dip into everything that's out there and a lot of those are American too I think two of the two or three of the podcasts I've recommended and sometimes it's nice to have a British perspective you know British accents and that that's good as well I wanted to talk about ethics in blogging because I feel like this year no hang on we're 2019 so probably 2018 back end of 2018 when some new rules came in and 2019 and maybe even before then um, with GDPR um, things have felt very much like they're being we as influencers are being squeezed 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 into tighter and narrower holes and um and you mentioned the guardian article which i spoke about on my stories because again traditional media particularly the guardian at the moment are doing pretty much an article a week about yeah influencers and mm-hmm. how terrible they are or <laughs> oh yay influencers have are authentic or you know perhaps there's a big row on twitter because an influencer emailed a restaurant <laughs> and they get called a blagger and I just, you broke and continue to break this down on on your stories when you do your TED Talks about it. And I, that was when I first kind of, you first came to my attention, I guess, in a way. I'd heard of you before then, but then I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> you have to be on the podcast and we have to talk about this. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'd love to get your take on it. I mean, that is a huge question. But... It's a huge question. <laughs> I know, it's interesting. It's definitely made me read up a lot I'm still learning and I think initially I was just like 
oh my god I've got to label everything it looks like my life is gifted it looks like I'm being paid for everything oh my god what's everyone gonna think ah but then I started to read it and I started to digest it and obviously the consumer needs to know the relationship that you may have with a particular brand you know to inform their decision like that's the bare bones of it and in the early days of blogging you know I'd be gifted things but early early on we did say like this was gifted or mm-hmm. was mainly like courtesy of and that was easy to display in a blog post because you had control over where it was whereas an Instagram you know it truncates your caption so you may see two lines of that caption so it was frustrating that I would have to start off explaining what was going on and no one would see my caption I think with Instagram you know everything counts like the image counts the caption counts the time of day is so important you know when you post so to think that my, my caption was going to you know, have to be sacrificed, that was annoying. But then I thought, okay, let me understand this. Let me read up on this. And I know that press seem to be held to different standards. Mm. You know, from what I understand, they have the same rules and regulations, but it's just maybe not, not enough people are reporting it. And I think the best thing about the blogging industry is that we've shone a light on everything, you know, all of the press trips all of the the events that go on behind the scenes, all of the gifting, like this has always happened, but we just never knew. And I think that's really empowered me as a consumer. And I think it's about us being open with our audiences about this. Yeah. It's an opportunity to really help everyone understand the world of marketing because it's all basically marketing, which is crazy that I would start a blog at the age of 21 and not know that I was marketing like I it's the rules apparently were always there but I wasn't I wasn't to know no no one's to know (laughs) like it's it's a crazy thing but I think with most things they just evolve naturally and the laws and the rules have to adjust so yeah I think it's an it's an interesting opportunity I think you know it may be a bit harsh in some ways you know just declaring if you've bought something but you were previously working with a brand like surely you bought it because you love the brand even though you worked with them before because you love the brand yeah you know but it is what it is and I do I agree with you I think ultimately it comes down to the consumer having 100% transparency when it comes to informing their decision and I think most people are really comfortable with that even if it's annoying it can be quite annoying particularly on Instagram like you say just from a technical point of view well not even just from a technical point of view people when they see ad you lose engagement already and I and I honestly believe that um the way the traditional media portrays it and um, and how negative people are about influencers are the reason that people focus more mm-hmm. on how an influencer is, how what an influencer's relationship with a brand is like and, and whether they're following the rules than whether they go into their magazine and look at all the adverts in it and then think, oh, uh, I wonder how much, I don't know, LVMH, for example, has taken up of the roundup space as and let's have a look at how much ad space they're paying for because that might not be contravening a direct rule but I mean the editor and the person planning the magazine and I'm a journalist so I've seen it from this Mm -hmm. side 
I've been told I can't have a certain brand in a roundup piece that I've done because they're not an award winner. Mm. As in not a the magazine's award winner. And so I've had to take them out and put in so you know, and I, I never in it I suppose you could say that most people would see that that's fairly obvious but there's nowhere that I wrote by the way the, the all of this was gifted to me and all of the these brands are in there because they work with us as a magazine yeah I've been reading that I've been you know apparently it's obvious that a magazine is commercial and it's not obvious you know for content creators and influencers but yeah you you know if you're following if you're reading an article from someone like Sally Hughes you you assume it's a opinions I mean okay that's just an example I know she works for the Guardian might be different to the glossies but you assume that if you're following a certain journalist and you know you respect their what they're featuring you assume it's because they have a connection with it Mm. but there's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know about you know I've heard this as well I've been on press trips with journalists and they've admitted that there is hidden advertising and we're expected to know that but I I wouldn't have known that unless I was doing what I'm doing now so I don't think the consumer would know that either yeah so it's really interesting I think it's such an interesting time for media and I think there is an opportunity for bloggers and influencers (laughs) to be more transparent about their processes and how they make money and you know the decisions behind each project they take because I think that's where some of the backlash is coming from Mm. also I was listening to a Drink with James, which is the YouTube series by the founder of Forecard, which is a an influencer platform. And he was saying that a lot of people are, you know, resentful towards influencers because it's it seems easy, mm. like so achievable. You know, anyone could post a picture, but this person is being paid X amount to do it. So there's a lot of jealousy there, I yeah. think. And whereas with an actress, you know that there's, you know, a degree of talent and you say, OK, I couldn't do that or a singer as well like you know if you're not a singer you're not going to be like Beyonce but Mm. with influencers it seems so attainable and I think that's where a lot of the backlash stems from but really we just took a chance you know we all some of us started off on MySpace and then graduated to websites and then just stuck with it and people just need to accept that yeah, I completely agree. Uh, but I think there's, I think there's also, uh, I do think there's a lot of misunderstanding about how hard it is, how hard the job is. And also, and also there's a level of misunderstanding about what exactly is involved in every collaboration. And the reason that there's a lot of misunderstanding about it is because there's no rule book. Yeah, there are rule books in terms of, you know, your transparency and, the rest of it but there is no rule book as to how much you charge for x amount of words i mean that's the same in a magazine as well of course but there's no whereas you know magazines journalists have a union that they can sign up to where there's kind of national average rates all disclosed so you can get a bit more of an idea about it and there's professional codes of conduct that isn't in blogging Mm -hmm. so that it becomes really murky waters so people are able to just assume what everybody's getting paid um and how much work has gone into it because i suppose the reality is 
the two of us could do a, a, a collaboration with the exact same brand, produce on paper the exact same content and be paid completely differently for it, mm-hmm. even under the same campaign. Because I don't know about you, but I know that brands have profited from the fact that we're, we all keep things quiet to kind of protect ourselves. I'm not saying you and me necessarily, <laughs> but <laughs> it's the two of us bringing this whole thing down. Oh, it's all my fault. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, gosh. I've ruined something again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Because a brand, a brand can go to a blogger, and I know this from experience, a brand can go to a blogger and, you know, maybe maybe they and say, we haven't got budget. And they come back and say, well, you know, my rates are this. And they're like, okay, well, we'll pay you this. And then they might pay their friend a completely different rate because maybe the friend says, okay, yeah, I'll accept that. So I think, and of course, we have a responsibility ourselves to be more open and honest with each other. But at the same time, who is profiting? And the people that are profiting tend to be big companies. Yeah, and this has taught me so much about big businesses and the fact that creativity isn't often valued, mm. you know, even working in design, like the person at the top has a very different mindset to the designer that's doing all the measurements and the fittings and everything. Like, it's crazy that the people with the ideas are not reaping the benefits. And it's made me want to change that and really empower myself as a creative and others because brands are making money out of you. There's all these influencer platforms that are saying, you know, will gift you one thing or you have to buy the product and you may get like paid to do the campaign and it might only be like you know a very small amount of money that's not really a decent hourly rate uh, rate especially if you have to factor in paying tax on that and a Mm -hmm. photographer and travel costs like this company is profiting from you I read about another one today and they were saying you know we work with micro influencers or you know we gift them because it's authentic, but it's still a marketing campaign. You're still being paid by the brands as a big company, yet the people doing the work are not reaping the benefits. So I've learned so much. I'm still learning. I think I need to actually read a business book because I'm trying to piece it all together. And I think ultimately some of the people that can be really successful in business, they don't have that, that heart or that empathy, like Mm. that connection, which is a shame. And I would love to change, like, how businesses run. I, I'm not making this easy for myself, but I think there is a way to run a business and not exploit people. Yeah, I agree. And it probably does start with us. There was a conversation um, being had with a couple of people that I follow about. Um, they're very small brands, kind of one-girl bands, and about paying people for their work. So... This particular person, Bridie, she has a, a really beautiful clothing brand called Wild Flora. And she was talking about um, organising photo shoots. And, you know, one a few of the things, the values that she's trying to hit are diversity, inclusivity, and paying people a fair wage. So she doesn't just get people in and give them product in exchange for their work. Um, and, and she said, yes, this makes it harder to organise. And it also is expensive for me to do this because I'm a small brand so it does hit my bottom line but that is the only way I'm prepared to do it because if I expect people to invest in my business 
um and if i'm you know a, a sustainable fashion is kind of her ethos as well then she has to pay people for their work because otherwise it's not sustainable so it's hard but that's the kind of ethos that I take for myself as well which I haven't always because I'm learning as well and especially about my intersectional feminism and and digging deep into is it really intersectional if you're if it's if your podcast for example isn't diverse are you really can you really call yourself an intersectional feminist so so I'm I, yeah that's a ramble really about my thoughts <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I did see this designer. I, yeah, it's really interesting because I accept, yeah, small businesses. You know, I see myself as a small business, mm-hmm. but if I am going to pay for my Adobe membership, then it makes sense to, you know, pay others. <laughs> like, it's it's crazy how some things are factored in, but not others. You know, like the the hosting or, you know, the materials that you may use to make something. And it's so important because that creative that you pay can then, invest in their business and what they're doing and they can pay someone else and it it helps everyone grow and I know there are situations where you may collaborate with someone who's on the same level with you it's quite mutual you know that's fine but I think it's just so important to value each other as creatives yeah I completely agree I think that's a perfect point to end the podcast on as well so where can everybody find you online so my blog is iwantyoutoknow.co.uk and then I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, at I'm Christabel. That's with a K and one L. And if you type Christabel into YouTube, you will see lots of videos with my travels and behind the scenes of blogging and everything in between. Thank you so, so much for being a part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. I think I could have chatted for like another hour, but <laughs> this is- this is great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can get in touch with me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Lucy Lou Craft. I'd love you to leave a review for the show if you have time. All of the information that we chatted about in this episode is in the show notes. You can find everything at lucyloucroft.com forward slash podcast. See you next week. <laughs>